Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. When I think of wedding dresses, there's one that immediately comes to mind. The door opens. There's a bride that any man would be happy to be to see coming down the aisle. Princess Diana, that dress was iconic. The big sleeves, the 25-foot-long train, the ivory silk. And if you ask a little girl to draw a princess, I think she'd draw a dress just like that. The tiny bodies, tiny waist, and a great big skirt. There she goes, up the steps. At least, that's what it was like in 1981. But what about now? When I got married about a decade ago, I still thought of the wedding dress as being this big, poofy princess thing, or at least long and definitely white. Even if that wasn't really my style. We are doing a seating chart because we were like, oh, we actually don't want everyone to come in and scramble to find their place and like end up... Two of my colleagues at Slate were planning their wedding outfits this spring. Neither one of them were interested in anything that looked like Princess Diana's dress. Susan Matthews, Slate's executive editor, had already decided on her custom-made wedding jumpsuit. When we recorded this episode, Shannon Paulus, a senior editor at Slate, was still considering all her options. Her inspiration, though, wasn't Princess Diana or any other royalty. It was a different fashion icon. Carrie Bradshaw and the courthouse wedding suit she wore in the first Sex in the City movie. Oh, I found the dress. <gasps> what? When? Yeah, the other day I have it. This is gonna be good. I am so excited. Okay. Here it is. Well, that was the exact reaction I was aiming for. It's pretty, but it's it's so simple. Simple and classic. When I saw it, I thought... Weddings have evolved in recent years. Even before the pandemic, people were increasingly bucking tradition to figure out celebrations that felt more like them. But after the biggest disruption to the industry, tradition has felt less locked in than ever. So where does the dress, often thought to be the centerpiece of a wedding, go from here? As the industry has changed, so has what people, especially brides, are wearing. Like I said, Susan is wearing a one-piece jumpsuit for her wedding. And Shannon, at the time, thought about going cocktail length. Both are a far cry from what I even thought to consider for a wedding dress. My own was big and white with a beaded belt. But it did have pockets, which may have been the most progressive thing about it, and honestly, the thing that I loved the most. In this era of new feminism, online shopping, gay weddings, and more, what exactly is the modern wedding? Should we even say dress? Outfit? Do people even want traditional wedding dresses anymore? To answer this question, I first went to the most traditional of traditional wedding stores. It's a family business in Michigan that's been operating since the 1930s. But it's more than that. In many ways, it's a dynasty where thousands of women go every year to find the perfect dress to say yes to. And it's where, almost a decade ago, I picked out my own wedding dress. 
I'm Shana Roth, and this is The Waves. We're heading to Becker's Bridal right after this. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our feed. We send you new episodes every Thursday morning. And while you're there, you should check out some of our other episodes, too. Lately, we've been talking about how fairy tales can be feminist, why you should really embrace your period, and what has been going on in the years since the incredibly devastating Dobbs decision. To hear more, subscribe to The Waves wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jeremy Stahl. I'm Slate's jurisprudence editor. Ordinarily, I edit our courts and legal coverage from the comfort of my home office in Los Angeles. But for the next month and a half, I will be locked in a lower Manhattan courtroom with the rest of the press, a jury of 12 New Yorkers, Justice Juan Marchand, prosecutors, Trump's defense team, and the former president himself as history unfolds. I've temporarily moved myself and my family from Los Angeles to New York to cover this case firsthand, like I have done in other cases, including the Paul Manafort case, the Roger Stone criminal trial, and Donald Trump's first impeachment. I'm hoping that my background knowledge of the many, many criminal travails of our former president can offer something to you, Slate's listener. Over the next several weeks, you'll be hearing from me on Amicus, Slate's legal podcast, and in articles on Slate.com. From the jury selection to the opening arguments to the witness testimony and cross-examination and the prosecution's case and the defense's case and ultimately to a final verdict. We will be providing you wall-to-wall coverage throughout the entirety of the trial as it unfolds from the courtroom. There's no way I'd be able to do it without the support of Slate Plus. So if you're not already a subscriber, please join today by clicking Try Free at the top of the Amicus Show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash amicus plus to get access wherever you listen. Thank you so, so much. Hi, I'm Josh Levine. My podcast, The Queen, tells the story of Linda Taylor. She was a con artist, a kidnapper, and maybe even a murderer. She was also given the title The Welfare Queen, and her story was used by Ronald Reagan to justify slashing aid to the poor. Now, it's time to hear her real story. Over the course of four episodes, you'll find out what was done to Linda Taylor, what she did to others, and what was done in her name. The the great lesson of this, uh, for me, is that people will come to their own conclusions based on what their prejudices are. Subscribe to The Queen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. I just noticed that now. (laughs) Because I didn't see it in the room. I didn't notice it. Becker's Bridal is at least 20 minutes away from the nearest highway. Situated in the village of Fowler, Michigan, population 1,200. Becker's has grown over the decades into a sort of mecca among the cornfields. How did I start? Okay, well, I'm fourth generation and always knew that I would be here and end up staying here. So I started when I was 14. Becker's is currently run by mom, Michelle Mueller, and daughter, Alyssa Pung. I grew up here, basically. It's been a family business for me. And we were, I was a little kid just running around here, collecting beads and taking fake notes. Alyssa's husband, Corey, is also in the mix. So it's very much a family affair. Despite the pandemic and surge of online shopping over the years, they've stayed in business since 1934 and even expanded. 
There's a second location in Lansing focused on Mother of the Bride and outlet dresses. And they've even created a spot upstairs to get a drink and have a meal if you're looking for something more celebratory than the pizza shop across the street. I mean, we're talking five generations of family owners. I mean, you've, you've survived COVID. You've survived, you know, yeah. internet making online shopping easy. I guess, how do you, how do you yeah, keep going? Stores, everything, internet, everything's kind of added like one more element to our strategy. Um, and I think that's a million dollar question in any business, no matter what the commodity or the industry is, right? Um, but I think, from my opinion, it's, it's passion. And it's always the desire to know that I'm going to do one up or I'm going to do one better or we're going to just provide the service that the brides always want because it's such an emotional purchase. So we're invested in being a part of their group when they come in. So, And I think they feel that and they sense that and they kind of feel the history that's here and want to be a part of it or be included. And I think they feel a little safe with that too. The process of finding a dress at Becker's can feel overwhelming. There's rack after rack of large white dresses sparkling under the lights. There are different areas for customers to try on their dresses, and you schedule an appointment with an associate to help you comb the racks for your favorite dress. Once you find the right one, you get measured, and weeks to months later, depending on the designer, your dress arrives. How busy is a Saturday here at Becker's? Very busy. (laughs) There is a stark contrast between, say, a Thursday and a Saturday. So on a Saturday, we're typically a full house. Uh, We do have about 15 dressing rooms. And then um, you obviously have up to five people with each bride. It is very energetic, high energy. It's a lot of great energy. (laughs) Aside from it being a family business, why, why wedding dresses? What do you both like about wedding dresses and being in the wedding industry? So it is still a garment industry, but there is no other garment like a wedding dress. Obviously, the weight that a wedding dress carries is way different than a pair of jeans that may... It's quite a bit more disposable and less sentimental. So we are really seeing somebody at a point in their life that is going to be a core memory versus anything else you wear. So it is a really honorable position to be in to be a part of something that somebody's going to remember forever and the most important thing they'll ever wear. Holding on to the family legacy, Becker's Bridal traffics in traditional white large wedding dresses. And in an era where weddings are evolving, they've had to find ways to keep up with the trends. But for Michelle and Alyssa, brides come to Becker's looking for traditional. I look around and you guys have a lot of the traditional wedding dresses uh, laid out, you know, the long white gowns. Have you gotten into the non-traditional jumpsuits, short dresses, different colors, things like that? Have you looked into that? So it goes in waves, interestingly enough. One non-traditional trend that continues to come back is black, and we're seeing it peak right now. Um, We're also seeing a peak in floral prints, which I find very romantic and fun. We do, on occasion have call for a jumpsuit or a short. Um, a lot of times shorter dresses can be easily filled, very easily filled just in off the rack shops online, that sort of thing. So we don't do as much with the, with the shorter dresses, but I would say our most non-traditional would have to do with color print and then here and there um, a suit versus an actual dress. If we jump forward to the styling part of it, I think this is the first, last couple years, especially, We've seen such a diversity of styling. So we'll we'll see just as many brides that want the simplistic, minimalist look with not a stitch, not a pearl, not anything on it. 
And then in the same respect, we'll see the same amount of percentage that wants a dress that's just fully, mm-hmm. you know, the full ball gown. Give me the bells and whistles. I want the sparkle underneath. I want the, all the lace appliques on top. I want all the bling on top. So we'll go from one end of the aspect to the other. We're usually, in, in the past, we've probably seen some decades or a five-year span of something where one style dominated. And the last couple of years, we're seeing this huge diversity. And then you throw in um, the black dresses, the, the floral dresses, the dresses with water tones underneath. Um, more indie boho, um, more of the different styling right. within the long sleeves, the volume there. Now, a lot of the, our manufacturers and designers are um, adding or incorporating like detachable sleeves or sleeves that match a certain look where the beading could be exact. Um, so she can add that for the the ceremony, remove it for the reception, and then that gives her a different look of two dresses, and her guests are like, oh, she's got a different dress on when she really doesn't. So yeah, so I think as far as the trends, everything right now is whatever they want they can have. I mean, everything's available. Is there still like a big need for that traditional floor-length white gown? Overall, yes. I think think a wedding gown garment in itself is a traditional feeling garment so I don't think that'll ever go away because when she looks back at her photos she still wants to look and feel like the bride and wants her portraits to portray that so that part will always exist that is a, with this a, garment a big thing we hear a lot yeah. is I do feel like a bride or or I oh and this one I just don't quite feel like a bride even though it's very pretty they still want to feel like they are the one getting married that day like they I am the bride however that looks to them but typically it means a full length gown that's a little bit more on the elegant side I guess yeah and I I think with us doing it now for 90 years um, and going forward I don't think that that's that's never changed that I've seen and I don't think it ever will because like we talked about that's that one garment that's going to be her most important garment in her whole life and what she's going to look back and it's the most photographed dress or garment that she's ever going to be in I think there's always going to be a traditional undertone to it just for what the meaning of what a marriage is Talk to me more about that, because I'm curious if anything has changed for for Becker's since we've had things like gay marriage has become legalized. How has Becker's changed to sort of meet up with those with the modern times? If I'm being honest, I I don't see an enormous change just in in our from our aspect of the experience. We may see, um, you know, two people shopping together in a different way that we have before and sell two dresses in the same appointment um, to the same wedding. But other than that, it's still, we're still selling the same pieces. We're still selling the same experience. The thing that we're changing the most on isn't how we're selling a dress or what our garment is, is that we're always changing our um, infrastructure. We're always changing our um, decor and adding on to fit the times of how brides want to feel in an environment. I would say that's where our biggest evolving change comes in, is the shopping environment itself. What would you say are sort of your biggest competitors? Is it online retailers? Is it like a big box retailer, like a David's Bridal? Or is it the more like custom dress boutique places? Or I think the biggest competitor right now, um, and I think especially with coming post-COVID, Um, I think a lot of brides have developed bigger um, audience bases, if you will, or more friendships like online, on on social platforms and so forth. So I think our biggest competitor right now, and maybe it's not really a competitor, maybe it's just how they shop, is brides want to see as many stores as they can, um, whether it's an individual boutique or whether 
Um, it's a big box. Um, online definitely has its part, um, but the shopping experience, we'll see brides back um, more on a second visit sometimes, or sometimes even a third. But the biggest competitors were always up against the next store that she wants to go to or the store that she just came from. Because to them, they want the the celebration or the dress shopping to continue with as many friends as you know as they've got. Um, and sometimes they'll split up their shopping trips between family goes one time, friends go another, in-laws go another, um, because the groups are larger. Where back in the day when I first started, it was always just mom and the bride. And so now it's like all of my friends, which is great, <laughs> you know, right? Because the bride doesn't want to leave anybody out. Um, so I, w- I would guess that's our biggest competitor now is the amount of shops that a bride wants to see before she makes a decision. The thing that kind of got me interested in this topic in general was, I was curious, is the wedding dress dead? Because I had started seeing like a bunch of different pieces about like, oh, now it's all about the suit and it's all about this or that or the other thing. So let me just ask you about this. Is the wedding dress dead and why or why not? We don't believe so. <laughs> I would say no, absolutely not. Um, to go back on some of the other conversation, I think the wedding dress just took on more of a personality with um, really with the, the colors, um, the styling, um, the diversity of what she can have. Um, I think wedding gowns changed. Um, I just think they become a little more personable and a little more lively than maybe years past or decades past where it was always kind of a constant look. Kind of everybody wore a white or everybody wore a cream and styles kind of changed by the decade because you can tell when a dress is like from the 70s as opposed to the 60s. And we have our very first dress still hanging up in our lobby that was sold in um, 1933. <clears throat> you know, so you can look at something and see the dated, you know, the era behind it, which is super fun in the fashion world. But I think now if anybody look back on anybody getting married in the 2020s, I don't think anybody could look back on somebody's pictures and say, oh, she got married in 2023, I can tell that dress. Because there's everything. So now it's just a more, it's just got a bigger personality. What do you attribute that to? I I attribute it to um, people, designers recognizing that brides want to feel or have a theme or express their own individuality. So I think for them to step out of years back where it was just another ivory dress or another white dress or let's change a lace pattern here or let's add beading here. I think they've really opened themselves up to say, oh my gosh, there's bohemian style brides out there. There's brides that are whimsical. There's brides that are getting married in the woods. You know, there's brides that are getting married on the beach. There's brides that are getting married in barns. You know, right? So everything goes tense. You know, you name it. Whatever you think of, they're going to have. And I think the designer said, oh my gosh, we can really encapsulate on all of this and incorporate the dress to be a big part of the pictures in the venue now. And they jumped on and embraced it, and they did it. I also think overall, in terms of um, not believing that the wedding dress is dead, even though there are so many different ways to express the diverse personalities or yeah, um, walks of life that we get in here, I still think that a, a wedding dress, quote-unquote, is a tradition that people have so deeply rooted. Um in, in the experience of a wedding that it, it can never die. I left Beckers with a copy of their book about the famous Magic Room, an old safe in the store that is decked out with lights and surrounded by mirrors. Brides step inside when it's time to make a final decision and decide if that's really the dress they want. 
Not surprisingly, a lot of people cry in that room. But even though the tradition seems alive and well at Becker's, I knew there were plenty of brides who weren't looking for the long white dress. And I kept thinking about what Michelle said about making the dress more personalized, that it can be an extension of the person wearing the outfit. It was time to try a shop that is very different from Becker's, tucked into a warehouse in Brooklyn. And this time I was taking my brides, Shannon Paulus and Susan Matthews with me. How are you? Hi, Hi. nice to see you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Shana Roth. I went to Lulette Bride in Brooklyn with Shannon Paulus and Susan Matthews on a cold April morning. Come on in. So this is our workroom. Um, this is, like I said, where everything is made. Um, we have Cynthia here, who is our design assistant, helping out today. Um, Nadim is our production Lulette Bride manager. is run by Martille Mayer, with <laughs> um, a lingerie side owned by Timmy Johnson. It's a stark difference from Becker's Bridal. Um, the walls are exposed brick with rough hardwood floors. There's only two um, racks of dresses. Across the room, a seamstress is cutting and sewing a custom gown. Everything is custom at Lulette's, and they can mix and match the pre-designed styles that they come up with to give you anything you want, Martille says. Um, just plugging away. Everyone's got their job. It's like a little um, Santa's workshop in here. Lulette Bride emphasizes non-traditional. There's a gorgeous black gown with a thigh-high slit on one of the racks. They've also started focusing on doing more genderless options. But the dresses that adorn the racks are still a majority white or cream. So we have a couple off-color. I can do any color. You know, like I've, I've made colorful dresses. It's never the bestseller. White, white still is, your, you know, the queen of bridal. Right. I always like give myself permission to make like one crazy gown. That's usually like the crazy colorful one. Um, that is never the bestseller. It's just not. Even in a bridal shop, that is supposed to be like non-traditional. While you may find a lot of white at Lulette's, what you won't find are a lot of the big puffy gowns of Princess Diana's time. You know, people grow up with this conception of what a wedding dress is and, it, and especially like a quote-unquote puffy wedding dress. Yeah. And... Um, Ours are not in that traditional realm. So, like, our, our version of the puffy wedding dress is a lot more low-key than what, like, you've seen on Say Yes to the Dress or, yeah, you know. But that doesn't mean clients don't still feel drawn to big dresses, white or otherwise. A lot of people come in saying something, you know, like, simple, not too big. And then, like, slowly we'll get into, like, a bigger <laughs> and bigger dress. And then you just start feel it. Like, you know, girls don't normally put stuff on like that. Like, people don't dress like this every day of their life. So it's hard to imagine a fuller, bigger dress. But um, yeah, a lot of our brides end up gravitating towards something a little more grand than what they thought they would end up with. Martille says she's noticed a lot of changes in what clients are looking for over the last few years. And a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. After a lull in 2020 and 2021, 2022 hit and business started booming. With that, there was also a surge of big dresses requests. I think there was this idea that everyone was like, oh, micro weddings and, and people just want to wear sweatpants. But I kind of feel <laughs> like it's been the opposite of, of people being like, 
I've been in sweatpants for three years and I'm going to do it up and like wear a big dress and wear whatever I want and we're going to get fancy. And like, I, th I think that's kind of been the opposite of what people thought. And I think um, being a little more grand and, you know, like stylish and over the top has been bigger. While her client base tends to skew local, Martile says they've gotten customers from all over. We have gotten a couple that have flown in and... We had this one specifically that like emailed us this hilarious. She was like, I have the unfortunate circumstance of living in a red state and I can't find anything. <laughs> so she flew up here. She wanted a black dress like and obviously that's something she couldn't find. And I think she was from Arkansas. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the rest of the country is is pretty limited on what kind of bridal unless you're in a bigger city that has has more options for you. When I was talking to Martile in April, the wedding dress behemoth David's Bridal had just announced that it was filing for bankruptcy for a second time. Now the chain says it plans to lay off more than 9,000 employees across the country. And if you just Google David's Bridal and click on the news tab, you'll see article after article of locations closing, from three stores in Massachusetts to Topeka, Kansas's only location. I think that that speaks to the amount of options that are out there and that, um, you know, you people used to be limited to just going to the local David's Bridal, I guess. I read they have over 300 stores. Um, but I think, obviously, the Internet and being able to search and find designers more easily and find things that um, reflect the values that you have um, plays into that. But also exactly what we're doing here, that... There is no one type of bride and David's bridal. I don't want to shit talk them, but like they probably haven't adjusted as they could have to the current climate and um, what people who are marrying really want to wear. And they've probably stuck to a pretty traditional model. And um, obviously that's not what we believe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm sure that has played into why they're not successful right at the moment. Yeah. Despite having very different approaches to the wedding dress world, Martile and the women of Becker's do agree on one thing. The wedding dress isn't dead, but Martile thinks it's grown up a bit. We've grown up with the traditional dress, so I don't think that dream is dead for a lot of people getting married now. And they just want to do it differently and have the option to make it a pant, make it make a skirt that comes off and they have a party jumpsuit underneath. They want like we just want options <laughs> um, and to feel comfortable and um, to not be put in this typecast, quote unquote, princess bride, like say yes to the dress mold that we've been fed forever. And I don't think that's the average girl anymore or person or human. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye, Todd. Shannon and Susan left Lulette's with sweatshirts that say, I fucking do, but no wedding gowns. The three of us went back to Shannon's apartment to look at the final contenders. Yeah, you're acting surprised. These are not like wedding dresses. I just did like a search for white dress on a bunch of websites and looked at the offerings. Um, I knew that like I didn't really want a gown going into it um, because I'm having a 35 person wedding. But 
Beyond that, I like, I don't know, I just always envisioned myself walking down the aisle in something like that you maybe could wear to a business meeting, if that makes sense. <laughs> Shannon had narrowed down her options to a sequined, long sleeve short dress and an asymmetrical kind of midi length dress with a bow on one shoulder. Both were stunning. Both were white. That was back in April. Hi, Shannon. How are you? It's nice to see you. And since then, (laughs) Shannon has gotten married. You had two dresses that you were choosing from, and which one did you end up going with? I went with the -the off-the-shoulder dress that was, like, hit below my knees. Um, It was in the low 70s on the day of, so that just felt like a natural choice weather-wise, but... Also, after talking to you and Susan and just kind of, like, getting a third-party opinion and remembering that, like, oh, yeah, this is the dress that I've sort of spent longer with, um, I was leaning that direction anyway. How important do you think the wedding dress was in your overall wedding? I was really happy that I ended up with something that I felt good about and that I did feel like was an expression of myself because when people complimented me and complimented how I looked, I really felt like, yes, I did play a role in this. I wasn't just like grabbing what I thought a wedding dress should be. I wasn't just grabbing something random. I did have like agency in this process and did create a look that I, I felt good about. I thought that the wedding dress itself wouldn't actually be that important to me, and it ended up being important to me. I realized that my wedding dress was something that was important to me. That didn't mean that it looked like probably your average American wedding dress, but it looked like really what I wanted my wedding dress to look like, and getting that right was important to me. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by myself, Shana Roth, with special help this week from Susan Matthews and Shannon Paulus. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. If you're not already a Slate Plus member, you should become one. You get bonus content, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and more. Plus, right now we're airing weekly recaps of season two of HBO Max's Sex in the City sequel series, and just like that. Go to slate.com slash the waves plus to sign up now. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at the waves at slate.com. The waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. Hey, waves listeners, just a heads up. This segment contains spoilers for and just like that episode four. Welcome to The Waves. This is our And Just Like That recap, episode four, Charlotte Gets Her Fireworks Back. I'm Shayna Roth, senior producer at Slate. And I'm Heather Schwedell, a staff writer at Slate. Every week we're recapping the latest of season two of HBO's Sex and the City sequel series, the fashion, the quips, the WTF moments, of which it feels like this episode there were quite a few. But before we get to all of that, I like to ask each new guest what their relationship is to the Sex and the City franchise universe, whatever you want to call it. So Heather, how do you come to Sex and the City? 
I would say Sex in the City is one of the great entertainment loves of my life. It's one of the most important pop culture entities to me. I watched it when I was it was originally on, even though I was too young to be watching it. So um, one of my prized possessions is I actually have a VHS box set of the second season. And I remember getting that, I believe, in eighth or ninth grade for Hanukkah from my grandparents. <laughs> and like, it's one of my favorite gifts I ever got, but I just cringe. What has your feelings been since the show came back? How do you feel about the And Just Like That series overall? It's just unmissable. It's almost not even a question of whether I like it or dislike it. It's just, I have to watch it. But I do think in some way I like it. Carrie Bradshaw is on my TV again. That's just a joy, even though it's not a the best version of her. Sometimes I'm like, what is this? I really look forward to it. Um, I wrote a piece last year about the relationship I think a lot of people have with it where like we hate it, we think it's terrible, but we're also obsessed with it. And it's just this thing we look forward to every week. So I, I think I'm there. I would never not watch it. <laughs> Let's get into the latest episode of And Just Like That, which, as I said before, is episode four. We are going to do 60-second recaps. I always make the guests do this. And I have a timer ready. Heather, are you ready? Um, yes. I, I haven't practiced to maintain the integrity of <laughs> this exercise, but uh, let's let's go for it. <laughs> All right. Here we go. And go. Okay, Carrie um, meets her old uh, editor at Vogue randomly, and that person is starting a, um, Enid. She's starting a company, like a newsletter for aging women, and Carrie is like, well, what's going on? I'm not aging. And then Charlotte, um, her kids went away to camp, so she and Harry are excited to get busy together, and they have this weird thing, they, a very graphic sex scene, where um, Harry is like going to, to come on her chest, but he does, and then nothing comes out and it's sort of this classic like weird sex problem that they're all discussing at lunch. Meanwhile, um, Charlotte is going to her friend Lisa Todd Wexley's anniversary 20 party. seconds left. Um, oh, and Miranda is back in New York trying to figure out what's happening with Steve and she's also with Che and she has a threesome with Che randomly. Um, and uh, the threesome is very unexpected. It doesn't come to fruition, but Miranda had a threesome. That, that was very strange to watch. <laughs> That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.